Good morning, children. Thanks for coming up here today. Uh, I have some things that my wife let me take out of the kitchen this morning, and I wanted to to bring them here because I want to use them to illustrate something to you. You know, the Bible the Bible says that God just pours out His blessings on us in every day to day life, and I'm going to use this cup to kind of illustrate. That's you. That's me. And this water is God's blessings. And what I'm going to ask you to do is, is name some blessings that God gives us, that God has given you. Can you name one? Family. Okay. Uh, God has given us a family. What a wonderful blessing, right? A good shelter. Okay, a good shelter. We, we, we go to bed and we get up in the morning and it's raining, but we're dry because we got a shelter over our heads. So that, that's a blessing we have every day. Yeah. A bed so we don't have to sleep on the ground. Yeah, and the older you get, like me, the more you appreciate that nice soft bed. You betcha. So we'll we'll talk about more blessings. Can you think of something? Um, your kids have to go to bed. Yeah. Can anybody else mention some blessings that God gives us? Well, did you come to church this morning? Did you come to church this morning without eating? All right, every day, every day you get up, there's, there's food to eat, right? Can you think of some other blessings? Water. Yeah, you get water. And that, that blessing is always there, right? God keeps providing it. What's the greatest blessing that we have from God? God. Yeah, what God. And what has God done for us? Everything. Died on the cross. All right, he, he died on the cross. He, he sent his son Jesus to pay for all of our sins. And, you know, the truth is we could go on all day long and we could talk about the blessings. Our, our lives just overflow with God's blessings. And God does that for a reason. And one of the reasons he does that is because he wants his blessings to spill out of our lives into the lives of others. The more we think about everything that God has done for us, the more we, we not only have joy ourselves, but we can tell other people about it. You know, you can tell me, you can sit here this morning in church, and you can tell me about God's blessings. There's all kinds of people out there who don't know about God's blessings, and we can share that with them. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, the importance of sharing how much God loves us with other people. Let's, let's fold our hands and pray, okay? Father in heaven, we thank you for every blessing that you give us every day of our lives. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to let those blessings and the knowledge that you give us of your love spill out of our lives into the lives of others. Help us to tell other people about your blessings. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace. God's amazing grace is yours through faith in our Savior Jesus it's a free gift to all of us the portion of God's Word that I want to focus our attention on this morning is recorded in the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Christians in Ephesus the eighth and ninth verses we just heard it before I'm not going to read it again at this time I want to start out by by talking to you about a, a friend of 
my wife's and mine. Her name is Susan. Susan is a former Mormon. A little over two decades ago, by the grace of God, she was brought out of the Mormon faith and became a Christian. A few weeks ago, uh, my wife and I went out to breakfast with Susan. And it's amazing, even though it's been over 20 years since she became a Christian, she still gets emotional when she talks about the gospel. She remembers what her life was like as a Mormon. She says that, that it was like a heavy weight on her heart that burdened her. A heavy weight of guilt that she lived with every day. She talks about how, how she knew that she could never ever live up to the standard of perfection that God requires. And how she just constantly had this feeling that she was unworthy of God's love. That's the way her life was, but not now. She'll, she'll still, after all these years, tear up when she talks about Jesus and his forgiveness. She says that when she first heard that message, it was like a ton of bricks fell off of her heart. She can't help but get emotional when she tells you of her knowledge of the message of salvation by grace through faith. That's a message that I would guess most of us, if not all of us, know. In fact, it's a message that probably many of us uh, have heard more and more longer than we can ever remember. That message of salvation by grace through faith is the heart and the core of our Christian faith, isn't it? In fact, we, we might say that one of the primary reasons we gather together on a weekly basis is to hear that message. To be assured again through word and through sacrament that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And we're not ever disappointed, are we? You know, I, I have been a member of Wells all of my life. And in, in that period of time, I've heard a lot of sermons. Some memorable, some not so much, I'll be honest. I've been to all kinds of different Bible classes. And yet, regardless of, of what person was standing up in the church or teaching the class, regardless of what congregation it might have been in, one thing ran constant. One thing came through loud and clear. It was the message of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. Never, not even once, did I ever hear anybody say, you'll be forgiven if, or you'll be forgiven but, or you're forgiven when, but always, always the message was you're already forgiven, past, present, and future for all your sins because of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Or as Paul puts it here, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast.
You know why that message of salvation alone by God's grace through faith is so prominent in our midst? The answer to that question is because that message is the only true answer to sin. And there's nothing more dominant, more destructive, and more deadly in our world than sin. I know we don't, we don't hear much about sin today, do we? In fact, rarely outside of church do you ever hear the word, much less do people speak of it as the source of our problems. But no matter how much we brush it aside or belittle it, no matter how much we want to try to disguise it or defend it or downplay it, the fact remains that, that sin is the most destructive thing that any person can ever bring into their life. To call sin merely a mistake or an error in judgment, as we're so prone to do today, is, is about like calling a Category 5 tornado a gentle summer breeze. Our world may not want to talk a lot about sin today, but in his word, God mentions sin in no less than 689 different passages, and he mentions hell in 53 passages. When's the last time you just sat and pondered the destructive power of sin? Sin hurts the body. If you don't think so, talk to people whose livers have been destroyed through alcohol abuse or, or people whose bodies are destroyed by STDs or drug abuse. Sin impairs the mind. It scars the memory. It reduces our mental faculties. It rivets our thoughts on the sensual and downplays the good and the beautiful. Sin mars the soul. It separates the soul from God and condemns its unforgiving victims to a never-ending death. And sin is never alone, is it? It always is seeking to entangle others, friends, relatives. Sometimes it carries its consequences down to the third and fourth generation. Ultimately, sin always leaves suffering in its wake. It brings agony and it, and it hurls hordes of people into hell. But you know, you want to hear the really scary thing? I am a sinner. In fact, I can't help but sin. No matter how much I may not want to do it, no matter how much I might strive to avoid it, sin is so woven into every fiber of my being that I end up having to say with the Apostle Paul, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but I cannot carry it out. Is there anybody here today who, who doesn't have to say the same thing? I know that in me there's nothing good that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. 
Where would any of us be if we didn't have this beautiful truth? It is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. With those simple words, the Apostle Paul tells us that our salvation is a gift of God's grace, unearned, undeserved. It is a gift that he gives us freely because for some inexplicable reason, in spite of our sins, he still loves us. He loves us so much that he would send his one and only son to do what we could never do, to live perfectly in our place and then to go on to suffer the punishment that we deserve because of our sins. And then in his grace, He freely gives us all the blessings of Jesus' redeeming work. Forgiveness of all of our sins, past, present, and future. Answer to our prayers. Promise of his protection all through life and his providing care all through life. And ultimately, ultimately, the guarantee he gives us that that we'll spend eternity with him in heaven. All that's summed up in the words, saved by grace. Hopefully, none of us here have started to take that message of God's free and faithful grace for granted. That can happen, you know, where we start to look at the good news like it's old news. Like it's yesterday's coffee or or last month's newspaper. Brothers and sisters, if the message of God's redeeming grace doesn't warm your heart and get you excited, then we need to pick up this book and let it remind us of where we would be without that grace. We need to just let the Holy Spirit, through the words of this book, show us again the seriousness of our sins and then then show us the beauty, the awesome beauty of God's free grace in Christ. There's lots of reasons that God wants us to just bask in the sunshine of his grace. I'm going to mention a couple of them. One, and and this is really critical, so that we cling ever more seriously to our Savior as our only hope. But another one, a very important one, is that we share that message of God's grace with others. Do you, know, do you know how many people there are in our world who still don't know of their salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ? Conservative estimate would say over 5 billion people. That's beyond my comprehension, that many people. But that's what the statistics tell us. That there's all those people who don't live with the peace and the joy and the hope that you and I have in Christ. Some of those people, we all know. And so we can, we can witness to them, like the little girl we heard about in our first lesson, or the way Jesus witnessed in, in our, second, or our gospel lesson. We can tell people what we know, and we can pray for them. Those we don't know in the world, the billions we don't know, we can pray for them too. We can pray that, that the Lord will open their hearts to that message of the gospel, and that he will send Christians near them, 
or missionaries to them to witness to the gospel and bring them to faith. And one more thing we can all do is we can support the work of our church body to send missionaries to places where we can't go. I'm here today to speak about a certain portion of those billions who don't know Jesus. I'm talking about Mormons. There's 20 million of them right now. Now, 20 million may, may seem like a drop in the bucket compared to the billions in the world. But I have to tell you that this is one of the most overlooked mission fields in the world because either people think they're already Christian, which they're not, or people don't want to have any contact with them or anything to do with them. And that's tragic because the, the Mormons are very zealous about their faith and eager to spread it to others. Do you know what their, their faith is? I, I don't have time to go into the whole explanation of it right now, but I'll, I'll give you one passage that is in the Mormon scriptures that is representative of their faith. It's, it's, it's similar but drastically different from the passage we're looking at. It's a passage from the book of Second Nephi, from the book of Mormon, and it says this, We know that we are saved by grace after all we can do. Did you catch that? I'm going to repeat it. We know we are saved by grace after all we can do. Can you appreciate why, why Susan lived so much of her early life in abject fear? Imagine if you have been taught that you would only live one day with Heavenly Father if you did all you can do. What person in the throes of guilt, what person lying on their deathbed uh, wouldn't have to wonder, have I done enough? Have I done all that I can do? Did I do it rightly? Did I do it with the right motive? Can I know? When will I know? Experience has taught us that the stress points that, that Susan lived with early in her life, those stress points mark the lives of a, a host of Mormon people. They suffer from depression, anxiety, feelings of unworthiness, despair. Suicide rate among them is, is much higher than the general population. That's why we, we treat them not as enemies, but as victims. In our approach to them, we are not confrontational, throwing up barriers, but rather we try to build a bridge to them by approaching them in love. Through the internet, through door-to-door -door conversations, in whatever way we poss possible, we try to sow the seeds of the gospel message in their hearts with a prayer that the Lord will cause it to take root and bear fruit. And God is blessing our ministry. I, I could go on for a long time, but I'm, I'm going to only mention a few things. One, what started as a one-on-one as a -on -one ministry in Boise, Idaho, is now a global ministry. Our internet connections enable us 
to reach people in virtually every country in the world. And we've had contacts from almost every country in the world. A year ago, we started writing personal devotions for Mormons. And we've had over 5,000 people ask for them. In a recent month, in a recent month, there were a thousand online one-on-one conversations with searching Mormons giving us an opportunity to witness the message of grace alone. But we don't only reach out ourselves to Mormons, we try and equip other people to do that. And in the last years, we have now been able to teach 23,000 people our witnessing methods so that they can reach out not just to Mormons but to others. Last year alone, 5,000 people registered online to go through our, our training course in how to witness. God has blessed this ministry in, in so many different ways. But there's so much more to do. And that's why I'm here. I'm here to ask for your help. I'm here to ask you to pray for us, to pray that God will bless what we do, open the hearts of Mormons, and and cause that seed that is planted to take root in their hearts. I'm here to ask you to become informed about our ministry. There's all kinds of materials on the table in the back. You can pick some up as you leave. You can go online to our websites and learn all about the things that we're doing, and I encourage you to do that. I'm also going to encourage you and invite you to participate. We take groups out to Utah every year to witness door to door. We train them how to do it and give them an opportunity to do it. And if there's there's like teenagers here, we provide scholarships that help them to pay for the trip out there. And I'm asking if you're so moved for your financial help. There's so much, so much to do and so much effort that needs to be put forth. But if we ever ask, is it worth it? I think we already know the answer, don't we? Because all of us have stood at the foot of the cross. We've looked up at our Savior in faith. And we've said with the hymn writer, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Amen. The peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.